Thank you for joining the Capital Church Podcast. We believe that Jesus is for you and that through these expressions of our community, you will find hope, healing, and belonging. To learn more, join us live every week online and visit our website at capitalchurch.co or send us an email at info at morning. I'm going to talk to you about prayer in a different way than I've ever talked about prayer before. I want you to catch this. And so watch this video. Dear John Paul, I may seem far away from you, but I think about you every day. I wanted to tell you not to be afraid of life's journey. You will have both good times and bad, but know that God is there through them all. He loves you more than I ever could, John Paul, and I love you with all my heart. I'm already so proud of you. I'm proud that God gave you to me and your mom. And know that you've got my biggest blessing to be who God intends you to be. No matter what, son, know that I love you and that Jesus loves you. You can trust him with your heart, John Paul, just as I have. I can't wait to see you again. Until then. In this video, a father introduces himself to his son, and he introduces himself, or God, to him as well, his heavenly father. I want today to introduce you to the father of all of us. And I want you to grab a hold of this today because we're going to talk about the priesthood of the believer. Because understanding the role of the Old Testament priesthood, I believe, is central to our functioning as the priest God has called us to be. Isaiah prophesied this. In Isaiah chapter 61, he says, They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. And you will be called priests of the Lord. And you will be named ministers of our God. You will feed on the wealth of nations and in their riches. You will boast. He's saying we're to be the priests of God. We don't understand priesthood. We look at it as a Catholic thing. Priesthood of all believers is a biblical thing. But if you don't understand the Old Testament, you will not understand what God wants us to be. We don't understand that prayer isn't just a duty. Prayer is a privilege. Isaiah was prophesying about a new breed of priests. The priests that we are to be. Priests who will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore devastated places. 
the priesthood that God will use in this last hour of history will be more than just a spiritual wrecking crew that destroys the enemy. These priests will rebuild, restore, and renew. The Old Testament priests had several duties in the temple. Exodus 28, verses 1, 3, and 41 talks about the priest's primary duty, and that is this. And take you unto thee Aaron thy brother and his sons with him from among the children of Israel, that he may minister unto me in the priest's office. And you shall put them upon Aaron your brother and his sons with him, and you shall anoint them and consecrate them and sanctify them, that they may minister unto me in the priest's office. Did you hear the primary purpose of a priest is to minister unto God? Did you ever think about that when you go to prayer? No, we're a bunch of narcissistic, selfish people. God, give me this. God, give me that. Now, there's nothing wrong with petitions. I understand that. But there is a higher calling for all of us. The higher calling is to minister unto the Lord. That's what we're called for. We, there's this deep vacuum in every one of us to be near to God. Yet we don't understand that that is what we really desire. And we can easily become so involved within the work of the Lord that we overlook the Lord of the work. Our priority each, each day, each morning, in our prayer time should be to minister to the Lord. Sing to him. Brag about him. Read the word back to him. Honor him. Talk to him. The Old Testament priest was required to offer sacrifices for the sin of the people and to keep the incense burning. Now, Jesus Christ has become the sinless sacrifice for all who would receive his remedy for sin. Today, all who have accepted his free gift of redemption, how many of you have done it? Free gift of redemption. We now have access, access to the Holy of Holies as we move beyond the veil into deep communion and prayer. I'm going to describe that in a minute. In other words, you have opportunity to meet face to face with the creator of the universe. I don't know about you, but there's nothing better. There's nothing greater. And yet we treat prayer as kind of an insignificant thing. When sanctified saints enter into this Holy of Holies, the fragrance of what Jesus did in conjunction with the praises and prayers of the saints become as incense before the Lord. I want to read in Revelations chapter 8 and verse 4. It says, And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. In other words, when we pray, when we're in the very presence of God, our prayers ascend to heaven and become as incense. What is incense? It's an aroma. Your prayer is an aroma. Last week, Mark talked about that. When we get in the presence of God, there's an aroma that comes from being with God. Peter writes this. We are a royal priesthood. We minister unto the king of kings through intimate relationship with him. And when we do, we become his ambassadors to the world. 
We need to live in a relationship with our Father, the King, at, I believe, increasingly deeper levels so the world can see our royal priestly lives and want to know him through our deep representation of him because we smell like God. I want to read a story about one of my heroes of the faith, Corey Tenboom. For those of you who don't know him, know her, she was World War II in a concentration camp with her family, particularly her sister. Let me read this, given by another person who was there with her. The ambiance that night was light and the house was full of people. They were standing around talking joyfully and as if nothing significant were about to occur. The fire in the fireplace burned brightly and the aroma of food permeated the room. Then the doorbell rang. Through the door stepped Corey Tenboom. The atmosphere suddenly became electric, as if Corey were being escorted by a legion of angels. My heart fluttered while I was being introduced to this short, vivacious friend of God. Miss Tenboom sat in a chair to the left of the fireplace. The flames from the fireplace danced in the dimly lit room and the glory of God was so present that I could hardly breathe. I watched with awe as Miss Corey spoke. She would talk to us one minute and then glancing heavenward, she would listen to the voice of the Father, she would nod and even answer him aloud. And then very naturally and not at all religiously, resumed talking with us. I was overwhelmed. It was as though I were sitting in her prayer closet. Her words were cloaked with adoration and humility as she spoke about her heavenly father. She told us how in the horror of lice-infested Nazi concentration camps, she had found that no pit was so deep that God's grace was not deeper still. Her eyes glistened with tears when she recounted her experiences of intercession in the prison camp, as though each experience had actually become a nugget of gold. Miss Corey anguished as she recalled how her faith was challenged in the midst of absolute hopelessness. Clearly, I was looking into the eyes of a woman who knew the price of intimacy with God. And that night, by the Spirit of God, I saw the embodiment of a surrendered vessel who through many tear-steeped years had grown so close to her father in prayer to hear his very heartbeat. Jesus told us that we would hear his voice if we would only listen. John 10 says this, the watchman opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought all, out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. You know, some Christians live as though God wrote a bestseller, the Bible, and then retired. 
They act as if he has left what happens down here totally up to us. But the truth is this. God is very active upon the earth. He is fulfilling biblical prophecy. He's finishing the work that he began. And his purposes are coming to pass. He is a living, loving, relational God who actually speaks today is still. He never stops speaking. We simply stop listening. I don't know about you. Do you have a yearning in your heart for God like this? To hear his voice? Are you listening to the voice of the good shepherd? As he has promised to lead us and guide us. I think we need to lay down our inadequacies, our fears, our doubts, and pray with an assurance that our prayers matter. The shepherd knows you by name. He's speaking to you today. He wants to partner with you in his plans so you can share in his joy. Not only are we invited to partner with the Father concerning his plans for the earth and this planet, but Jesus also invites us to join him in the ministry of intercession. And he sets the example. Jesus, who is the great intercessor, says that he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them, according to Hebrews 7.25. All he's doing is interceding for all of us. So our role is not to become intercessors for Christ as much as it is to become intercessors with him. God chooses to work in this world. I don't understand this, but God chooses to work in this world in response to our prayers. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, Matthew 6.10. And this verse clearly implies this, that prayer is integral in establishing the kingdom of God upon the earth. If you think there's too much evil in the world, then there's not enough prayer and righteousness. I remember another story of a great early American missionary called David Brainerd, who lost his life at 28, but was a missionary to the American Indians. He once found a whole tribe ready to accept Christ when he approached them. The story is that as he was praying in the woods, some Indians crept toward him to kill him. As they stealthily approached, they saw a rattlesnake glide out of the bush behind Brainerd, poise its head as if to strike, and then lower its head and slip away. The incident so impressed the Indians that they were ready to accept the quote-unquote great spirit to whom Brainerd was praying because of what they saw. Is it possible that we have simply overlooked the tremendous priestly responsibility given to us in the, inner, in the area of intercession? God has called us to be priests. The church today talks about the priesthood of all believers, yet knows little about it. Revelations 1, 5, and 6 says, Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, has made us to be a kingdom and priests. Most believers 
know precious little about priestly ministry, which I'm going to describe in a minute. We have been mastering the art of going to men for God, but we've never mastered the art of going to God for men. I want to say that again. We've been mastering the art of going to men for God, but never mastered the art of going to God for men. You see, in the Bible, and if you don't understand the Old Testament, if you've never been taught about the tabernacle of Moses and what the priests did, you will not understand what it is to be a priest. Let me hopefully describe. The tabernacle of Moses was a big tent that extended quite some distance. And what, there were three different areas. In the front of the, of the tabernacle, you would enter this gate. You would enter the gate and you would get into the courts of God. In the court was where the sacrifice took place, where the washing took place. And then from there, you would enter the holy place. So you go through the gate to the court, into the holy place where the candlestick was and other items. And then finally, you would get to a veil or a curtain. On the other side of the curtain was, the, was actually the Ark of the Covenant with three items in it, covered by the mercy seat. Now think about this. The high priest went into the Ark of the Covenant through the veil one time a year, only one time only. And he would enter that presence of God. All of Israel knew it was, that God was there. Why did they know that? Because during during the day, a cloud was sitting over the ark. At night, there was a fire. They would come out of their tents and they would see the cloud and the fire and they knew God Almighty was, was there. That priest would go in once a year, would go in through the veil and would sacrifice spreading blood upon the mercy seat. The problem was, if the, if the sacrifice was not accepted, the priest was dead. Therefore, they would tie a rope around the priest because if he was not accepted, they had to pull him out because they couldn't go in. Now, that is an example of what we need to understand today in our priestly ministry. Most of us spend most of our time around the gate. We're just, oh God, you're great, almighty God, and we're just kind of joyful. And that's, that's okay, you have to go through the gate. And then we get into the courts, and the courts of God are about God's goodness and testimonies, etc. Then you get in the holy place, and there's much more activity. Your heart just spills over with the goodness of God. When you finally get to the holy of holies is when you have deep communion with God. In fact, you can almost not even speak. It's so animated with the presence of the Most High God. Revelation speaks of this. Revelations chapter 4, it says, From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. In the center around the throne were four living creatures. Day and night they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And the 24 elders fell down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things. And by your will, they were created and have their being. Jesus taught us to pray that his kingdom would come and his will be done on earth as it is being done in heaven. So my question to you, what is being done in heaven right now? 
Worship and intercession. Deep intercession. We move beyond the constraints of time with the Father and step into the spiritual realm of the eternal when we get into the Holy of Holies. And there we gaze and wonder at the great, great awesomeness of God. And these priestly responsibilities are not done at our convenience. They're done at our cost. Yet in some circles, and it would be with us too if we're not careful, worship and intercession can be subverted. We end up doing outer court experiences when God wants us in the Holy of Holies. You see, even in a worship service, we're to get from the court, the gate, the court, into the Holy of Holies. We're to get through the veil and get into the intimacy of God. And yet, most of us become absent-minded in worship. We're just kind of, well, there we are, worship that. That's the first thing we do, and then we do this, and then we do that. And, you know, we sometimes reduce worship and intercession to emotionalism and some of us to intellectualism, but it's neither, for that's soulish. He's looking for those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And God has established the inner court as his meeting place. If you really want to meet with God, get into the Holy of Holies. One thing I ask of the Lord, Psalms 27, 4, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. Look at that scripture. We are to gaze upon. We're to seek. Yet our worship often becomes focused on much lesser things. The word priest in Latin means bridge builder. The word priest in Hebrew means one who stands up for another and states his cause. The priestly role of the intercessor is to stand in the gap for another. So Israel's priests were intercessors for the entire nation. We priestly believers today are the spiritual reality of the Old Testament priests. And we have the great honor of joining hands with a victorious God to dispel the darkness of satanic dominion in the lives of individuals. For it says in Exodus 25, 8, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. Since we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, God is asking us to be the temple of Almighty God and that he may dwell among us, tabernacle, which means build a tent, build a house among us, that he may dwell with us. For we are to be the habitation for the Lord. We are to live and move and, move and breathe the almighty ways of God. 2,000 years ago, Jesus hung on the cross and cried out. He said this, it is finished. At the sound of those words, I believe the flesh over his heart ripped in two, redeeming fallen humanity from eternal separation with God. Heaven's windows opened and the hand of God reached into the temple, tearing the veil and the Holy of Holies from top to bottom. God's heart was forever exposed to all who would seek him. His heart was open to all who would commune with him. 
His throne room was now accessible to all who would enter. It is finished. What was finished? Just one person going in once a year. What was finished? The finish that he was un unapproachable. Finished forever are the days when God is unapproachable. Finished forever are the days when his children have to stand outside as the high priest intercedes for them. God himself initiated the level of intimate intercession that can occur only beyond the veil. It only occurs in the Holy of Holies. Such communion with God is prayer at its deepest level. And it is available to all who will come into the inner chamber of the Holy of Holies, where we offer sincere affection. We see him face to face. Lavish, lavish affection and praise actually drive back the enemy. And we move into great trust. We move into great intimacy where God does great and mighty things. From sacred hours of intimacy spent in his presence, you will begin to experience transformation by adoration. Oh, I should have had it. The whole place should have erupted on that. Transformation by adoration. Burdens lift, frustrations dissolve as you gather yourself under the very wings of God. You know, the process of moving deeper into intimate intercession is similar to flying into the eye of a hurricane. The center of a hurricane has the lowest barometric pressure in the storm. As you experience passion and inner court worship or holy of holies, the pressures of life release you. Though the outer winds of your life may gust with all kinds of turmoil, confusion, and strife, as you enter the eye of the storm, you will experience a peace and calm. And at the center of your spirit, where the Holy Spirit resides, there is no disturbance, only tranquility. And God shows up. This week, I talked to my mom. We talked for about an hour and she didn't want to stop. She said, Ken, she's 95 years old. She just turned 95. She said, Ken, I had the most incredible experience this week. I went to bed and I was laying there and all of a sudden God showed up in my room. And for two hours, I felt the greatest peace, the greatest joy, the greatest expression of God that I've ever felt in my entire life. And she said, could it be God's getting me ready to go to heaven? I said, yeah, that may be, but not too soon, mom. I have discovered that the closer we get to God, the more he shows us glimpses of heaven. The more the encounters with God open up and explode something in our hearts. Recently, my wife had a, an experience. As you know, about, uh, it's almost two years ago now, Connie's mom passed away, March 23rd, 2022. In February, 2023, Connie was attempting to go to sleep and all of a sudden she sat up in her bed because God had given her a vision. And in that vision, now this happens to, this while I'm starting to see heaven, it's almost like flashlight things. Just they open up 
Recently, when I was in Singapore, God opened my eyes to see a man from Singapore in heaven. I'm seeing that more and more, and many of us can see that, but Connie, in this experience, she actually saw her mother in heaven. And the, and the word given to her was, she had completed the introductory course in heaven a month ahead of time. And then she saw her mother was walking down a hallway and in the hallway were plaques of, of her family, of Connie's mom's family, Doris, which would be us and others. And then she saw her go into, the, into a family setting where Connie actually saw her twin sister. Connie's a twin. Her twin didn't make it. She saw her older brother, Stephen. Others who were miscarriages. Her whole family was there. Grandpas and grandmas. And she saw that. Why don't we see more of that? Because they're not in the Holy of Holies. We need to say, you know, Lord, I want to be more in your presence. Second Chronicles 7. When the Shekinah glory came into the temple, neither the priests nor the people would stand in the temple when the glory came. When glory comes during intimate intercession, all thoughts of time, space, hunger, personal responsibilities, needs, they all diminish. God wraps you up in himself and your one desire is just to relate to the person of Jesus Christ. I want to read something to you and as I do, they're going to play some music and I want you to listen to what I read in the context of who Jesus is to us. We need to become a friend of Jesus because prayer is a relationship with a person. Friendship will keep your passion for prayer alive. It's a two-way street of communication. Prayer is about knowing that as you touch the heart of God, God is gonna touch your heart. The entire Bible is the story of a great romance. It is the original romantic love story where a bridegroom, the prince of all princes, falls in love with the princess, the bride of the earth, and wants to marry her. Eventually, the day of the great wedding comes and the bride and bridegroom are perfectly united and they live happily ever after in the presence of an almighty king. It's an incredible love story of epic proportions. But think about the beginning of this great story. When God created Adam and Eve and placed them in the beautiful Garden of Eden, God and man enjoyed wonderful fellowship for a time until the fateful fall occurred in Genesis chapter 3. However, whenever we teach about the fall of man, what do we emphasize? Well, we teach and concentrate on what we lost in the fall. We teach about how we lost perfection, how we fell into sin, how we lost our place in the garden, how we lost our relationship with the Father. But I was thinking about this and God spoke to me. He said, Ken, have you ever thought about what I lost that day? Have you ever thought about what God lost when we sinned in the garden? Do you know what God lost? He lost friendship. He lost sons and daughters. For God and Adam often walked and talked together in the garden, enjoying one another's company. In Genesis 3:9, we read that God is walking once again in the garden, looking for Adam. Having sinned, Adam and Eve hear God coming and hide from him. 
So the Lord calls out and says, where are you? Where are you? Can you hear that cry? I no longer hear that cry as one of an irritated parent looking for an errant child. I hear a cry of anguish as God realizes that he has lost his friendship. He's lost his son and daughters and what it will take to restore it. And since that day, God's cry has not changed. There is in the earth the incredible cry of a friend and father calling for all mankind. Where are you? Where are you? Because we were created for relationship. And that's why God the Father sent his only begotten son. That's why the bridegroom of heaven offered to lay his life. Why? He did this because it was the only way that this relationship communication gap could be restored and closed. The Father desired that the veil be torn in two so that every man, woman, and child could become connected to him in a relationship once again. For the heart cry of God has always been friendship. He says, I want to know you. From the least to the greatest, he wants to know us. Heart to heart, he's calling you to relationship. God is calling you to meet with him face to face. God has completely delivered us from all of our sin. You need to know just how thoroughly and utterly God has forgiven you. And when you know that you are forgiven, then you can walk with your head up and your shoulders back into the very presence of the Most High God with the confidence of knowing who you are in Christ. He has forgiven you and you can know that the eyes of the bridegroom look on you with incredible love. You can look him in the eyes and know that you bring him satisfaction and friendship. For we almost come to the revelation that we give pleasure to God in response to the very heart cry of God that says, where are you? Where are you? We can walk into his presence and say, Father, here I am. I'm here for you. Something rejoices in the heart of God when you do that. The very fact that you've taken the time to be in his presence brings him joy. And as you spend time with our incredible God and talk to him in conversation, he will talk to you more and more and more. And as you spend time with God, he will spend time with you. You will find yourself having dreams and visions, revelations, encounters, prophetic words, as your communication with the Father becomes more intimate. He says, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I've made known to you. Isn't that incredible? Just think about that. Jesus is saying that everything he has learned from his Father in that secret place of intimate communion, all of that, he wants to make known to you. That is how much God wants to reveal to you. Would you bow your heads as I pray to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Father, I exalt your name above every name. You are clothed with majesty and glory. I rejoice for you are Lord. Receive all honor and respect today. For I testify of your magnificent love and testify before angels and demons that there is no other God but you. You're the only God. You're the everlasting God. You're the great I am, the ever-present eternal God. You are a loving Father. You are my Father, and you draw us to yourself. Jesus, you radiate with glory. As the Father escorted you into the eternal, you have gained the right to receive all honor, glory, and praise. And I thank you, Lord, 
for your mercy, your power, your patience, your faithfulness. I celebrate the awesomeness of Jesus. And Holy Spirit, I praise you. You're faithful. Thank you for making known to me those things that no eye can see, no ear can hear, no man can understand. You alone have all wisdom and understanding and knowledge. And I praise you, Holy Spirit. Be the center of all that I pray. Rule and reign in my heart, my mind, and my soul, so that all is spoken will bring glory and honor to the Lord. Bring me into the very presence of the Most High God. May, may I enter the Holy of Holies and rejoice in the greatness of Almighty God. I thank you. I worship you. I praise you. I adore you. I honor you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like to give towards this ministry, learn more about our church and events, or are in need of prayer, please visit capitalchurch.co.